Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. We are glad that you are here. Uh, As Riley said, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at the church, and I'm a spirited sports fan. You will gather that really, really quickly. Um, I'm also a spirited Minnesota sports fan, which... Feels like an oxymoron sometimes because, quite frankly, it's hard to be a spirited fan and be a Minnesota fan at the same time because sometimes they are mutually exclusive. But I digress. We are excited today to finish uh, this sermon series that I've called Guess Who. So I never don't think I've actually like issued this request, but do I have anyone in here who has played Guess Who in their lifetime? Okay. Thank you. If your hand's not raised, you got to come over to my house soon because I need to introduce to you one of the greatest games in the world. It is awesome. And so if you have not played, uh, let me just kind of catch you up really quick because what I'm going to talk about today is the best part of Guess Who. You have all these little flaps, and as you alternate turns back and forth, you're kind of getting down to who is finally left. You're trying to find this one person in a sea of different characters, and towards the end of the game, you have like three different people you're trying to find. Like you, there's three different options you're looking at. And so there's like one more clue you're trying to just like look at. Like who, how can I narrow down where I can know exactly who this is? And when you get that clue, when you have three and you go, hey, do they have glasses? And the two flaps that are on, the, on your board have glass and they say no. And you flip those two tabs down. You have one character left. You know, oh, I got him. It is my time to win. It is so exciting because in that moment, basically all you have to say is, hey, are you Jim? Are you Bob? All you have left to win the game is just this little tiny formality of are you this person? And so if you've been with us for the past few weeks, metaphorically, I've been taking us through this game of guess who, where we started really broad with what's the identity of who God is? Who is God? And so we talked about other things like who Jesus is and how Satan tried to say, you're not who you say you are. And then we got more specific to who are we as human beings? Who is it that that when we were created and we were born, who is it that we are at our core? We talked about what our purpose looks like. And now we are down to like one flap left in this metaphorical series. And we're going to talk about what is the identity of the Bridge Church. Who are we? What are we called to do? What are we going to really embody with everything that we do? And so I want to kind of, in the true spirit of the game, tell you kind of who we're not, okay? Because part of the game of guess who is figuring out who the person is not. So a lot of times when I'm talking to random strangers or talking to people that don't know me super well, and the question inevitably comes up is, so what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. I'm an insurance agent. I'm a doctor. All these different things that come up. And then it flips back to me like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. And this is immediately what comes to their brain, immediately. Okay? Nothing wrong with it. Okay? Nothing wrong with it. But we have slightly different attire. Okay? Um, They wear robes and, and flowing things. I wear skinny jeans and hipster jeans or hipster shoes. Okay? That's just how we're different in a lot of ways that way. Okay? So... When, when people say, oh, yeah, you're a pastor, not quite, okay? Like, same kind of goal, just a little different approach. Nothing bad with this, just I'm different that way, okay? On the flip side, they might hear about the bridge church through a grapevine. They might think the bridge is a lot like this, 
okay? You've got smoke machines. You've got crazy music. Everyone's going crazy and putting their hands in the air, and everyone's awesome. And you're like, what did I walk into right now? What is going on? All right? Some people, when I say, you know, we're a small church in a, in a town called Now Then, they're like, what is Now Then? I'll, is that a joke? Nope, that's literally the town that we're in. Now then, yep, that's a real place. And I, they, that's what they think of, okay? <laughs> when I say our church is literally in front of a cornfield, this is what comes to their brain, okay? Like, it, it's, we are a small church, all right? But we're not like a one-seater, if, if you know what I mean. This is my favorite one. My, my in-laws live in southern Indiana, so they do not get cold weather like we get cold weather. So when I tell them that we drive our vehicles on the ice on a lake, they're like, what? Like, are you crazy? So this is my favorite conversation. This happened about a year ago. When I say that we pastor a church in Minnesota, this is literally what they think of. Like my, my cousin, my wife's cousin rather, he goes, so like, do you guys have snow all year round? It's like, no, we don't, okay? Like, it feels like it sometimes, but we don't. And then the last thing is, if you know the Bridge Church, and you know the pastor that leads the church, you might have heard a few things about the pastor that leads the church, and this might be something that comes up to your brain, okay? This is what happens when I tell our youth student media team, and I, <laughs> I come to them and say, hey, do you have any pictures of me that, like, just seem a little crazy? And they go, uh-huh, I've got just the thing. They have a Rolodex full of them, I'm sure, okay? But basically, what I'm trying to get at is when, before you even walk through those doors as a first-time guest, before you even step foot onto the Bridge Church, inevitably you've heard of things, you've seen things, you've heard your friends or your family members hear these different ideas that might have come through, and a lot of them are close, okay? So, like, this picture of me kind of describes my personality. For the record, I don't just don pink hair just for the heck of it. That was what happens when you make a bet with your youth students and they call your bluff. And so uh, it's not always like that, but the reason I'm kind of getting at this is I want us to not get the wrong picture of who we are as a church. Because that's one thing, if you walk in with an idea, you walk in with what you think church might look like here. But the thing is, I hope when you walk out the door, you get the true identity of who we are as a church. I can't dictate what you walk in with in terms of perceptions and perspectives, but what I can do is hopefully make sure that we as a church are really doing the things that are true to our identity, that we are doing the things that we want to do. And so I want to talk about who the Bridge Church is. And it's not just me as a pastor. It's not just the Bridge Church as a building. I want us to look at who the bridge is from the top down, who makes it up, and what it has to do with everything else that goes along with it. So you might recall last week, I talked about this man named Gideon. And Gideon was this young man who, quite frankly, was overlooked. He was the smallest member of the smallest clan in Israel. He was a nobody in all, in all intents and purposes. But he was frustrated, he was weary, he was discouraged because for seven years, seven whole years, he was resorted to living in a cave. He was hiding for his life. Every year he would plant crops to feed his family, but just as it was time to harvest them, 
this oppressive nation known as the Midianites would come in and steal their food and bully the Israelites and say, thanks for the food, now get out of my face. It was like a lunchroom style, but way more intense for seven years long. So finally, the Israelites are saying, we've had enough of this, God. Would you please deliver us? Would you please get us out of this nasty situation? And God hears their prayer and goes to this man named Gideon and says, hey, uh, you might think you're small, you might think you're tiny, you might think you're good for nothing, but you will be the one who saves the country. You will be the one who delivers this country from its oppression. And Gideon doubted it. He said, no way, you picked the wrong guy. No way, no way. You say you're with us, God? It sure doesn't seem like it. Because if you're with us, then how come all this bad stuff is happening? And so there's this back and forth, back and forth. But finally, Gideon gets to a spot of going, okay, God, fine. I'm going to ask for a sign. If this is really you saying who you are, then I'm going to give you a sign. If you, if you show me that you're real, I'll do what you want me to do. And sure enough, God does it. And it's a really, really cool story. But I want to talk about the next chapter. Because Gideon chapter 6, or I'm sorry, Judges chapter 6 is really, really cool. It really speaks to the vulnerability of when we're as human beings going, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm too small. We kind of we empathize with that really, really well. That's not where the story ends. That's just one chapter of a really, really cool story. I want to show you the end of the story in Judges chapter 7. You pick up in Judges chapter 7, and this army of Israel is just south of where this big camp of the Midianites is. The Midianites are, on, are in a valley. They're north of where the Israelites are, and they have a whole bunch of guys. And so Gideon and his ragtag group of soldiers are at the spring of Herod, a quiet, serene oasis. A lot of things that we have now, okay, there's lots of space. But it's just a lightly flowing spring there. And we see in verse 2, this is what this, the scenery is. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So Gideon says, okay, God, fine. I might be small. I might be tiny. I have zero military experience, but sure, I will lead this country to go and deliver them. Sure, I guess I will do that. So they, he finally says yes. They get the soldiers. They're just south of the camp, and they're going, okay, we're ready. But before they can attack, God says, um, Gideon, you've got too many guys. You've got too many men. Because right now, if we go and storm the castle and you win, you're not going to realize that it was my power in you. You would just say, oh, yeah, like, yeah, we're, we're good soldiers. So what happens is God says, okay, Gideon, you have too many men. So then in verse 3, it says, now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So Gideon, knowing full well he's already up against a tough battle, God says, hey, you have too many men, so here's what I want you to do. Get up in front of your soldiers and say, hey, if any one of you guys is scared, you can go home. It's not a big deal. Just head on over. So Gideon gets up, says it, and look what it says in the back half of verse 3. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. This is one of those things where it's like, you kind of like fish, like for compliments. Like, 
hey guys, if any one of you is scared, I know you're not. I know you want to stay here and fight with me, but just if you're scared, you could take off. And literally two thirds of his army walks away. Okay, like this is like intense. Now, what is impressive or scary for that matter is just for some number context. There was 22,000 that left, 10,000 that remained. So the math majors in the room, you know, there's 32,000 that started. Midian, their country, started with 135,000. So he was already outnumbered three and a half to one. Now with 10,000, he's outnumbered 13 and a half to one. All right, God, you made your point. Verse four. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. Thanks, God. Appreciate you doing that. This one shall go with you. He, this one shall go with you. He shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So what happens is virtually all the men are at this nice little spring. And God says, hey, have the guys go get a drink of water. The guys who get down on their knees and just put their face into the water, they stay. The ones who are lapping it and, and, and kind of like cupping water in, I'm sorry, they go. And the ones who are just putting their heads in, stay. If you're wondering what the spiritual significance is, there is none. It's just a random exercise. It's true, okay? Like I was in Israel. I'm going to get to this in a second. But we were in Israel at this spring when I was in 2017. And one of the experts who spent his whole life studying this, he goes, the question I get all the time is, is there a significance between the two different ways? And he goes, no, there is none. Okay, thanks. Chapter 7, verse 6. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. 300 against 135,000. I don't bet very often, but I'm not taking those odds. This is like the underdog story. When I mean underdog story, this is not like just like it could happen, like the Vikes go to the Super Bowl underdog. This is like impossible, literally impossible. At 300 soldiers to 135,000, it's 400 to 1. For every Israelite soldier, there are 400 trained killers that are ready to take out the Israelites complete with camels, complete with chariots, complete with all of the spoils of war ready to obliterate this country once and for all. And here we go. Here comes Gideon. Chapter 7, verse 8. So, Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. If you want to know who the bridge is, if you want to know what we're about as a church, I want to show you. To follow the example of Gideon, I believe the bridge is a place that will follow God's lead, even when it feels impossible, even when it feels bigger than us. Quite honestly, this didn't make a lick of sense. If we were to take this situation, this leadership, into our modern day world, when Gideon sent home all of these soldiers, 
They didn't know necessarily that God was saying, hey, do this. All of a sudden, he just starts peeling back soldiers after soldiers. We live in a day and age where Twitter, where Facebook, where Instagram, you can blast somebody that you don't even know. So if we were to look at this Gideon story right here in our context, I can only imagine the scrutiny that Gideon was under. All the guys that he was leading going, what is this guy doing? This is preposterous. This is ludicrous. Does he not know we're already outnumbered? Does he not know that we're already going to get our butts handed to us? Does he not know that we already lost this war before we even started based upon numbers and experience? And here he is thinking he knows what he's doing by just peeling back soldiers. I can only imagine if Gideon were to do this today, what would be said of him? Because it wouldn't be pretty. It wouldn't be nice. And as a, as a leader who's already a little self-conscious and self-doubtful, I can only imagine the whispers through the camp. The whispers of, I can only imagine how Gideon felt in that moment. But there's one word in verse 8 that I think just perfectly encapsulates Gideon's heart. So, it's a filler word, right? No different than and, no different than but. It's a conjunction. But that word so is everything I need to know. Because just before it, God said something, so Gideon did it. God was leading, so Gideon followed it. I want us as a church to have the heart of Gideon. When God says something, when God says to go, we go. When God says to move, we move. When God says to stay, we stay. When God says to love the one that's hard to love, we love. When we fight for what God's calling us to fight for, we fight. I don't want us to just fumble our way through darkness, trying to figure out life on our own, trying to just figure out what we're supposed to do as a church. I want us to be attentive to what God is speaking, what God is doing, and to follow it with conviction and with confidence. Not because we have the power, not because we're so great, but because if God is leading us to it, he's gonna lead us through it. And I want us to follow that. And I know this church is. Because when Pastor Chris, my predecessor, stepped out in April, the church, so many of you in this place said, all right, God's moving this. God's doing this. Yes, he's 27 years old. Yes, he doesn't have a ton of experience, but we're going to follow him. Why? Because we know God's in it. And this church has embodied that from the beginning. But as we continue to step forth in what God's calling us to do, there are going to be times when on the outside it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to fit the mold. But I can promise you on the inner workings, the staff, the elder board, the people that make up this church, so many of you in this place, you're listening to what God's calling you to do. You're listening and you're following. We are a so church. God said it, so we do it. And I want us to continue to be a so church. Judges chapter seven, verse nine. Let's continue the story. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, hey, get up. Go down against the camp because I'm going to give you it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Hurrah, sweet name, and listen to what they 
are saying. Identity number two of the bridge. The bridge is a place where God meets us. I love this part of the story. Because if you remember who Gideon is, Gideon is a man who doubts himself. Gideon is a man who doubted God's presence in his life. Gideon is a man who feels weak and overlooked and tiny. Gideon is a man, when you look at him underneath a magnifying glass like we've been doing, he's scared. He's a leader. He's obedient. He steps forward. But there's a part of him that's scared and worried. And so I love the intentionality and the intimacy that God has right here. Because God knows that. God knows he's scared. God knows he doubts. God knows he worries. So what he says is, hey, get up, go take the camp. And if you're still afraid, go down there right now and hear what they're saying about you. Just go ahead. God knew when he called Gideon that he was still wired the same way. God knew that when he sent Gideon, Gideon's fears, Gideon's natural personality didn't just disappear. God just wanted to work through it. So while Gideon said yes, while he said, okay, God, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, he still had that doubt. So what did God do for him? He comforted him. Hey, if you're scared, just just head on down. Listen. It's kind of like that boost of confidence he's looking for. I want to show you something. So when you walk through these doors, when you drive onto our property, I want you to understand, you might be walking into this place and you might be feeling great. It might be one of those weeks where things went really well at your job, your marriage is doing great, things are great. So when you're here, it's one of those things that you just naturally feel good. You're like, oh man, this is awesome. Or you might walk through those doors and it's a miracle you got here today. Because quite frankly, you rolled over and the weight of your situation made you not want to even get out of bed. But you chose to be here anyway. You might be in this place when you walk through those doors, hating God, wanting nothing to do with him in the slightest. Or you might be walking through these doors ready for God to speak. I could could compare and contrast all day long, but my point is, When you walk through the doors of the bridge, I believe this is a place that God meets us. Why? Because the preaching is so good? No. Why? Because the identity of the pastor is in this church? No. Why? Because the worship is great? Because the coffee's hot? Because the donuts are fresh? No. Because this building is something special? No again. The reason I know God meets us here in this place is because he's everywhere all the time. I love this song that we sang this morning. Make us more aware of your presence. Because guess what, everybody? His presence doesn't leave. We don't have to summon God to come and be a part of it. He's already in this place. He's already moving. He's already present. But the reason I believe when we come into this place that we can encounter God is because there's a bunch of people who are ready for God to speak. You're ready. You're walking into this place going, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what God's going to speak, but I'm here for it. You're here for it. 
And I love when we walk into this place, there is an energy. And it's not because of the music. It's not because of anything we do. There's an energy because it's filled with people who want to be here. People who want to experience God for real. Let's not just do church us to do it. Let's come to church ready for God to speak to us. God didn't say, hey, if anyone in the camp is scared, go on down to the camp. He said, hey, Gideon, get up. Go down to the camp. You're still scared, which I know you are. Just go on down to the camp and listen. God knows you personally. He knows your situation. He knows your doubts. He knows your questions. He knows your struggles. He knows the thing that no one else in your world knows. He still wants to speak to you. Even if you are shutting the door hard, he wants to speak to you. And when you walk into this place, I believe if you're open, God will meet you. Because here's what's so cool. He knows your needs, but he also knows the solution. Verse 13. Gideon arrived, got up, grabbed his servant, snuck out in the middle of the night, went down to the Midianite camp. And we pick up this in verse 13. Gideon arrived just as a man, an enemy man, was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing more than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. What a bizarre dream. Can you imagine having a dream where you're just camping and all of a sudden a dinner roll comes rolling down the hill and knocks your tent over? It's, it's, it's weird, right? Like you read this and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, not really, okay? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when I studied this, this was super fascinating to me. I was like, in what world, okay? Because I read this multiple times, even this week, and I was like, how did he make that connection? How did this dream how did this guy hear a dream of a, literally a, a loaf of barley hitting a tent and the whole thing just, poof. how did you make the connection to, yeah, that's Gideon? Like how in the world? Here's what's interesting to me. Barley was the cheapest form of grain. Barley was like used for cattle and animals in, in, in mass amounts. Barley relative like milk or hyssop or honey. Barley was like the cheapest form of food you could possibly purchase. I equate this to like a bag of flour. Okay? Eggs are like 20 bucks a dozen right now. Flour is like a nickel. Flour is cheap. It's insignificant. It's it's everywhere around. And so when I look at this story and when I learned this week is that the reason that he knew it was Gideon is because Gideon was like a loaf of barley. He didn't have a whole lot of value to society externally. He didn't have a whole lot of power. He didn't have a whole lot of strength. He had a whole lot of nothing. But we see that that little barley loaf uprooted a whole tent 
and sent it into Mars. So the friend is going, oh boy. Yes, we might be have 400 to 1. Yes, we might have the advantage geographically. Yeah, we've been bullying these guys around for seven years, but um, we got a problem. Because it feels like the battle's fixed, that we've got it figured out. Uh, but there's a greater power at stake here. A power we can't even fully understand. Judges chapter 7, verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, everybody! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hand. Gideon went from scared and worried but obedient to expectant. He heard and he saw, oh, we got them. They're scared now. They know now that God's with us. So if they know and if they're scared, how much more confidence can we have knowing that God's for us and behind us? So Gideon gets down and he worships. He's like, God, thank you. And then he runs up of the hill and says, boys, let's go. We've been del- God's delivered them into our hands. This verse right here is so, so indicative to me because I love that Gideon's demeanor changes right here. When he makes that connection that God's behind me and for me and with me, he becomes a fearless leader. He goes from scared and worried to expectant and authoritative. Get up. Let's go. Verse 17. He gets all the boys. They go down to the camp, and here's Gideon's last bit of instruction to them. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This doesn't sound like the same Gideon we read about in chapter 6, does it? It doesn't feel like the same dude. The guy who was scared of his own shadow before. The guy who was telling God that you picked the wrong guy. I, quite frankly, I don't even believe that you're with me right now. Look what happens in one chapter. You go from a man who is scared to a man who's saying, watch me, follow my lead. I know we're, I know we're overnumbered or, or all these things, but follow me. Watch as I do. I will show you guys what to do. It's a complete 180 of his leadership. Is it because he read a really good book about leadership? No. Is it because all of a sudden now he just awakened one day and go, oh, no, I'm a leader? No. What was the secret ingredient? God's presence in his life. He understood that God is with me, God is for me, and we're going to chase after what he has called us to do. You guys ready for the end of the story? The 300 ragtag soldiers don't even have a weapon. You read the story. They've got a torch in one hand and a trumpet in the other. And Gideon breaks them up into three different groups. And true to form, they follow Gideon's lead. They blow the trumpets. And they yell, for the Lord and for Gideon. And with that, the whole Midianite camp is so overwhelmed, is so overcome 
that they start turning on each other. They start attacking each other, and they flee. And Gideon's army chases them all the way out of the countryside without even lifting up a weapon. Trumpet in one hand, torch in the other. 300 versus 135,000. And they win. Identity number three, about the bridge. I believe the bridge is a church that believes for the not yet. I believe that we are a church who wants to go after things that have not yet been seen. Things that have not yet come into fruition. Greater purposes than you and I could sit down and think about. We talked about this last week. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. This story tells me that anything is impossible. Is possible, I'm sorry. Anything is possible. Nothing is impossible. The things that you wrestle with, the things that you think are never, ever going to change, they will and they can. The things that you battle with, the things that you're just not sure how you're going to get through them, you will. And I can't promise you it's going to happen overnight. I can't promise you that it's going to look exactly how you want it to, but I can promise you is that I've seen in my own life how God literally makes things happen where it doesn't seem there's like there's a way. And it's just fortified this trust in, in me that even when things look bleak, even when things look impossible, there's just this glimmer and this seed of hope that knows God's done this for me before. He's going to do it again. So we're a church that believes in the not yet. What do I mean by that? Let's get really practical for a second, okay? Because this is a great story. It's inspiring. But what can we practically do about it? What can we manifest and physically do in our own power? What is the yes that we can say, just like Gideon said yes? The mission of the bridge is to see people come alive in Christ. I've thought about that in excess over the last nine months, but especially this week. What do I mean by come alive in Christ? I mean Judges chapter 7. I mean this man who was scared and nervous and afraid to this man who is confident, this man who is assured, this man who is the best version of himself when God moved in his life. When I say come alive in Christ, that might mean that you've known God, you've loved God, you've served God for a long time. But there's another level of intimacy and depth that you want to go to. I want to see you come alive in that. That might mean that you're in this place. You're not even sure if you believe in God. But I want this to be a place where you come alive in him. Where you understand what happened on that cross was for you. It was for your intimacy and your relationship with God to be strong. I want to see people come alive in Christ. In this church. In this community. In this state in this country and in this world. The bridge is not a building. The bridge is not just a place on Google Maps and now then Minnesota. I believe the bridge is an embodiment of what God can do around the world. Here's what I mean by that. Here's how I know that there are people within this place right now that are getting that. 
Can I share some cool wins with you guys from 2022? I'm a numbers guy. I'm a stats guy. I'm in way too many fantasy football leagues because I like just watching numbers. But here's what I want to show you something powerful. Our youth ministry, kids age 12 through 18, they've understood this heart to make an impact around the world. They've understood that I can do something tangible to help somebody else who can't. They've watched the videos of the water wells. They've watched the videos of how people are being human trafficked. They've watched the videos of how people are struggling to get food, and they've gone, you know what? I can mow lawns. I can shovel driveways. I can sell stuff. I can make stuff. I can do something tangible to help somebody around the world. And we started in 2017 with that first year going, let's do something awesome. Let's Let's see what we can do. $1,000 came in in one year for 2017. It was awesome. But here's what's fun about people coming alive in Christ. Here's what's fun when God enters the scene. On Friday, Pastor Riley got to go and see what our youth gave for the year for Speed the Light. Money that goes to providing a water well. Money that goes towards delivering people from human trafficking. You want to see what happens when kids get the vision, when they come alive in Christ? In 2017, for the first time ever, they gave to Speed the Light with $1,000. In 2022, just 2022, our youth students and so many of you who partnered with them and got behind them in this place gave $32,231. Our church might not look like that one seater on the video, but we, all, we are a small church. But it doesn't matter because the kids catch the vision. And is it about the dollars and cents? No, it's not. If you're here for any more time, you'll understand that it's not about that. What it's about is knowing that $3,000 more and the Bridge Church alone, a little place in now than Minnesota, is responsible for drilling a water well that's going to serve a village of hundreds of thousands of people. They get the heart of the story. The stats tell the story. The stats are not what we're after. So many people got baptized this year. If you were here in May, there was a little, little tub here, and we had historic numbers of people who got baptized and said, I want to make my faith public. My office in the back, which has been overrun by all kinds of stuff, has been the place of so many life-changing conversations. Conversations with a 14-year-old and conversations with a 76-year-old. All saying, God's moving in my heart. And I feel so close to him. That is what happens when we come alive in Christ. So here's what I want to show you. Here's what I really believe God has been stirring in my heart the last few days even. Okay, I'm just going to come out and say I'm not a, I'm not a planter. I'm not a green thumb. Um, I killed a succulent, if that says anything. Literally. Dropped it down the steps of our apartment building. My wife was not thrilled. So I'm just going to tell you I openly am not going to declare myself a botanist by any means. 
But here's what I'm going to say. Jesus often talked about agricultural references. And so I forgot the seeds in, the, in my office, so that's, we're going to have to make do with this. But I believe to some capacity, all of us can kind of be pictured as some form of cup of soil. There's a few misconceptions about this thing called life. That if we're not growing, we're just not growing. But you understand when it comes to plants and agriculture, if you're not growing, you're dying. The absence of growth is not just static, it's death. So, so many people, I think, go, I'm just, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go to church, I'm not going to do the whole Jesus thing, I just, it's not for me. And that's all part of the process. That's okay. But here's what I would say to you, is I lived that life for a while. And so many times it felt like my life was full of soil. And I just kept putting seeds in it to try and fill these needs. Relationships, chemicals, things just trying to make my life feel more fulfilled. But you find that if you put the wrong seeds, even if it's the right soil, you put the wrong seeds in there, they're not going to grow. You got to have the right seeds of the right soil. The other problem is sometimes we have the right seeds in the right soil, but our, our soil is a little shallow. So I want to put a seed in here and water it. It might sprout up really quick. But the problem is there's not enough soil in here to develop roots. So you feel good for a second. It's awesome. But when real life comes along and you don't have any roots, it doesn't feel so good anymore. It feels like it was all a sham. The other problem is sometimes we have a good amount of soil and it feels like we're doing the right things, but we've been watering and watering and watering and feeding and giving all the sunshine. We've, we've had a good amount of soil, but all we can see is this tiny, tiny little sprout. We're going, man, this is a lot of work for no return. But here's where I want us to be, everybody. Here's what I want the bridge to embody. I want us to be a church that has roots. Not roots to Minnesota, because God knows we got those. Why else would we cheer for the teams that we do? I want us to have roots that take time to develop. Roots will give a plant structure and allow it to go up. They will give it the nutrients that it needs to grow. The problem with roots is they take a while to develop. They take a while to really sprout and feed the plant. And so sometimes we get here and we only see the little amount of growth in our life and we go, forget this, I'm done watering it, it's not growing. When you get here, when you have deep roots, a lot can happen above the surface. But the roots will keep the plant grounded. The roots will continue to give it the nutrients and the structure that it needs, no matter what's happening up here. See where I'm going with this? I believe God wants to develop roots in your life to Him. 
I've known God for 14 years. But this week when I'm reading through the Gospels and I'm reading through the story of the crucifixion where Jesus is spit on, he is whipped, he's crucified, he's hung on that cross, suffocating to death. Why? Because I still make mistakes. Because I still got sin in my life. He did it though. Because he wants me. He did it. Because he cares. And that's where these roots come in. Because there are days where it feels like above the surface, man, the wind is ripping. And it's raining. Or it's dry and you feel like the top layer of the soil is so cracked and dry. But below the surface, you're still okay. So you have the structure and the nutrients that you need. Let me tie this into the vision of the Bridge Church going forward. Have you guys ever heard of a root ball before? A root ball is what happens when the roots outgrow the container that they're in. Roots are meant to go out. If you ever see a massive tree and you look beneath the surface, the roots are as big as the tree are. But what happens is with the root ball, because they can't go out, they hit the edge of this cup and curl back in. And so you have one big ball of roots. That's why we can grab a plant and almost pull it right up out of the soil. Problem is, when you have a root ball, the roots aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not giving you the structure and the nutrients you need because they're stuck together. So what do you got to do? You got to put it into a bigger pot where the roots can spread out. This story of Gideon for me is not one that I just like. It's one that I've been clinging on to because here's, here's why, everybody. If you look around, there's a lot of people in here. Last few weeks, it's been tough to find parking. It's been tough to figure out what we're going to do. So I believe God's kind of been speaking to me like he was speaking to Gideon like, hey, I got something for you. It's going to scare you. But it's what's next. The Bridge Church is going to go to two services in February. But hear me. What's the heart with that? Is it to have a bigger church? No. Is it to make it feel like I'm a good pastor? No. Problem is that there's no room for growth. We can't welcome new plants in. Guys, there are people in our community who don't know. They don't know that their situation is not their permanent destination. They don't know that there is hope for their marriage. There is hope for their life. They might be addicted. They might be just getting blasted by life and they're trying to just make it. They're trying to find the will to live. They don't know that there's a man who hung on a cross so that they could know life and freedom. They don't know that even though they feel like they hate God, he still loves them. They don't know. A lot of you in here know. So let's make some room for people who don't, right?
the vision of two services and so that there can be more seats for more people to experience the life of Jesus. That's the heart. That's the only heart behind our two services. So here's what I need from our church, okay? I'm going a little bit longer today, but that's okay. I hope. Hopefully your kids will forgive me. When I was in Israel, like I said, I was at that spring of Herod. I was at the spot where Gideon said, hey, get some water. I grabbed this rock because it reminded me that God's calling the shots the whole time. I don't have to manifest anything. I just have to follow what he's calling me to do. So I'll be honest with you. God's been stirring this for me for a while, but I've been scared. If you want to know what my life has looked like for the past two months, just read Judges 6 and 7 again. To a T. So I've been, I've been grabbing this rock because it reminds me that God's presence is in this. So here's what I believe we need as a church. Here's how we're going to do this. First of all, I need you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving people outside of these four walls. Keep making an impact in your social, in your social circle. Keep making an impact in your home. Keep being you. It's helping. It's working. Be you. That's why we have a whole series on identity. But secondly, people will follow the culture of a church. I believe the people that come in here and enjoy sticking around is because they see the joy and the life in the people who are represented here. So no matter what happens above the surface, I challenge you, come be a part of what's happening at the bridge. I know it's tough to get up in the morning. I know we have a football team that we have to watch. Not anymore. <laughs> but can I make a big ask of you? For the next months, be here. Be here. When it's not easy, when it's not convenient, be here. Because there's probably going to be some new people walking through the doors who need somebody to follow. So be here. And the last big ask I have of you, it took all 300 soldiers, all 300, to grab their torch and their trumpet to see God move. There are places all around the church that we would love to have you to serve. I'm not asking you to drop everything in your life or do anything, but can I just make a big ask of you? There's another pastor who's going to be talking about this in the coming weeks. <clears throat> can you just be open to what God wants to speak to you in the next week or two, three weeks, four weeks? I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just asking you to be attentive what God wants to speak to you, what that might look like at the bridge. I believe he's going to speak. Here's what's fun. When you have more space for more roots, you not only have more plants, but you have a bigger plant with deeper roots. If you want to see God move in your life, sometimes it requires us to do something that's uncomfortable. But it always always produces a fruit. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in this world.
God, we thank you for what you're doing in St. Francis and now then in Oak Grove and East Bethel and Ham Lake. We thank you, God, what you're doing in the homes, what you're doing in the hearts of each individual represented here. God, you know them by name. You know exactly the situation they walked in with today. God, I pray that today, instead of running, instead of resisting, we would follow. We put our hands up in the air in a sign of surrender, saying, God, we trust you. And I do believe there are people listening in here, online, in their car, who don't know you, who don't believe in you inherently, they've never prayed the prayer, they don't, they want everything I'm talking about, but they don't know what it looks like. God, I pray that you would speak to them in this moment and show them that it's not about being good enough to love you. It's about being willing to believe in you. And that belief is the love that you require. May they know all that they have to do is to say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Believe in you. And in that moment, God, you're in their heart, in their soul. God, we are excited for what you are doing in the bridge church. We are excited for what you're doing in this world because it's so much bigger than anything we could ask or imagine. So God, I pray that today, when we walk out these doors, when we walk back into our life, back into our circumstances, may we not walk into them defeated, but may we walk into them victorious, knowing that you have won the battle, knowing that your presence is our weapon, your presence is with us. Regardless, of the mistakes we've made because you're faithful even when we're not. So Jesus, today, I echo that lyric. May we be more aware of your presence, God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we have God some praise this morning? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.